Amen, amen, amen. Oh, God, be my everything, be my delight. Let's close in prayer. Right? Some of you are like, yes, please, it's been a long day. All right. <clears throat> You're not going to get off that easily. Hey, I brought this up because I want to, uh, uh, hopefully this isn't slightly embarrassment, but there's a, there's a new gentleman that we have on staff. His name is Jonathan Filstra. His wife, Laura. I'm going to give this to him. I want you guys to, I'm going to point him out a little bit. Catch this, please. I don't want to, hopefully, thank you. Excellent. Uh, Jonathan moved here to join our staff, assistant director of facilities, ridiculously gifted man will be a blessing and a half to our church and our facilities and our staff, has such a heart of service um, and genuinely, truly demonstrates uh, his ministry is behind the scenes. His ministry is to serve. His ministry is to make the facilities and us as pastors, leaders, ministry leaders, a lot of you guys to be able to function as best as you possibly can. Get to know him. Get to know him. His wife, Laura, they've got two little kiddos and I'm drawing a blank on the name, so I apologize for that. But uh, Jonathan and Laura, a wonderful addition to our church family. And if you haven't had the privilege of meeting him yet this weekend, please avail yourself to do that. You will be blessed in that. Uh, This is my last time to be sharing in front of you guys this weekend. And uh, I just cannot strongly enough um, just want to offer my thanks to these four gentlemen sitting down front here. I know we clapped for them at the first session, um, and that was just out of courtesy because you didn't really know what they did or because you didn't know what to expect this weekend. And I just had the privilege over multiple um, meetings at Applebee's. Got to know some of the waitresses and waiters there, whatever it was. We had some good meals, and uh, we got a lot to talk about this weekend. But Jared and Justin and Isaiah and David, uh, Dave Ashburn, have just done an incredible job. And I have been ridiculously blessed by being here, and I think a lot of you have, by seeing how this has been done. So they need another round of applause, please. This, uh, this morning, uh, we looked and began looking at this, this topic of, uh, of <laughs> I'm sorry, I just noticed you guys brought back the water bottle. <laughs> that brings me to a public service announcement. Um, if we could be responsible and clean up after ourselves while we're here at the Cove. No, I'm just kidding. All right, anyway. It's what? <laughs> it's, it's something, all right? I'll tell you that much. All right. Anyway, someone... Do what now? It took you a while. It did take me a while, yeah. So uh, I was trying to worship, but then, and you know, hey. <laughs> All right. <clears throat> we began to look at reset this morning, and um, the phrase, stand firm in the faith, and Dave mentioned that already, but this issue of the challenge of continuing, continue to be in what can be believed, and it's... Uh, Gentlemen, it's not easy to stand firm. It's just not. But uh, with our eyes focused on the Lord and our eyes focused clearly on the Lord, it, it, is, it is possible. And that is one of the things that, if we take nothing else from this morning, um, in the practicality of things, I, I think it's okay to say this standing firm thing is tough and I need help. I need help. Only Christ is going to resolve our stuff. 
Only Christ is going to resolve those issues and are clearly setting our minds on Christ. But let's please not discount being there, standing firm, locking arms, and helping hold one another up. Because that's what it's going to take at times. It's not easy to stand, guys, but it is possible. And Lord willing, I am praying that we leave here a stronger group of men that are more committed and more determined to stand firm and stand firm together. And we're going to look at this next passage uh, tonight and this next aspect of our passage, and that is act like men. Be strong. If you would, quote with me, please, our, our passage, 1 Corinthians 16, 13, and 14. Be watchful. Stand firm in the faith. Act like men. Be strong. Let all that you do be done in love. Tonight we're going to talk about act like men and be strong. And, and thinking through this topic, wow, this, this topic could go literally a million different directions. And as we talk about it, we could go through what does biblical manhood look like and all of the examples throughout Scripture and who do we want to focus on and what characteristics and what principles and, and what are those type of things that we could have gone after and chased after, but really trying to narrow it, narrow it down and be very specific and practical with us tonight. But I really believe the world struggles with the ability to define what it means to act like a man. I think our world is thoroughly confused and I see, this, I see this unbelievable contrast that is out there. These, these two like unbelievable different stereotypical type of things that keep, keep coming about. And, and on one, one mindset of the world, the, in one regard, the world has this idea of what is a man and, and that negative role of, oh, he's the drinker, the partier, the user of women, the sexual, uh, you know, sexually promiscuous, the driven for success, the dumb jock type or the redneck type chewing tobacco, shooting guns, fixing trucks and racing them in the field type. Okay, you could lump that into, that's a lot of stereotypes all in one phrase. Or... On the flip side of that, you have the very effeminate, metrosexual type that is all about feelings, letting women lead, and in touch with their emotional side, and they can't really handle anything. And it's almost like you've got the, these two totally, totally diametrically opposed things, and, and there, there's, there's very little in between. There's, there's very little of, of, of a balanced approach right now when you talk about manhood, of, of how it's projected and how it appears in our society or in media or anything along those lines. And it, it, it's always, it, it seems to be, it's like either one of these things. It's the, it's, the, it's the Neanderthal dad that doesn't know anything, the dumb oaf, or, or, then it, or then it's just the very effeminate, almost not caring, just in touch with feelings person. And there's, 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 there's rarely... The in between. I mean, even even attempts to be chivalrous nowadays are viewed as sexist and demeaning, which I've never quite understood. But um, I don't even know if Jason remembers this. But on Friday mornings, we used to go to McDonald's, or we still do some. And I remember a long time ago trying to teach Jason and this reminder, this thing about, hey, you you be chivalrous, you. You be a man. You open the doors for ladies. You hold the doors for ladies. You respect. That starts with your mother and sister and, and, and for other ladies. And I can remember opening the door at McDonald's one morning and you know, grabbed the door and to let this lady go in and Jason's with me and she basically yelled at me. What do you think? I'm unable to hold my own door? I was like, uh, no, but uh, I was trying to be nice. But that immediately turned into some kind of sexist 
type of activity that I was doing for holding opening a door for somebody. And as you go through this, you know, both of those kind of stereotypical descriptions that I gave are, are just found in our world culture, and both of them are so distorted of what we are to be as a godly men in our culture. You know, and I also believe, as we get into this, that I believe that we, um, the world is also unbelievably struggling tremendously with the feminization of men in our society. Um, I'm actually going to show you a couple slides right now, and these literally come from a Paris fashion show this, either last year or within this last year. And these, the, the goal of these, okay, next one. And there's the next one. And they go back one, if you wouldn't mind. Go back one. I first showed that to Pastor Nathan, and he goes, what are you doing? And he goes, oh, those are guys. And it was at first glance, if some of you guys might even recognize, those are guys. And the next one, and the last one, again, hold on. This isn't, this isn't to poke fun. It really isn't. Because especially, especially that first slide, that would have been easy. But you look at the, even this slide, you, you just have this cowboy with the hat and the boots and the whole nine yards all the way to the pink tuxedo all the way to basically the dress and everything in our world is just going there there's there's no standard anymore it's it's whatever it's it's whatever it is and it's just so sad the confusion that is that is out there this this whatever floats your boat attitude and, and, and it's, it's just, there's no principle. There's no conviction. Um, uh, there's, even, there's even, if you want to say, certainly no normalcy of what we would even expect of what a man does anymore. Um, I don't know if we can move off that slide. That slide's just beginning to aggravate me. Um, <laughs> sorry. You know, you, you, we see these type of things. And we also hear such phrases as like toxic masculinity. And when you look up things like that, you know, toxic masculinity, that phrase has come from, quite honestly, um, not, not males being men. It, it comes from men being abusive jerks. And we have to distinguish those things. Being, being male is not, is not sexually harassing females. Being males is not being obnoxious. Being males is not being rude at every, give, at every given thing or having to be tough or here's another thing. Being male does not mean that you can't show emotion and need help sometimes. That's not male, but that's what toxic masculinity is basically as they using that phrase. That's where those type of behaviors have driven this. So now even trying to be chivalrous is viewed as almost toxic because it's overbearing. And it is so warped in our society. It, is, it has been so warped and it's so challenging. There, there's, there's an intentional effort to even destroy the role of father in, in media. I, I'm convinced of it. You look at, you look at just uh, sitcoms or other TV shows or whatever it is. There, there is usually the most incompetent individual in the show is the dad. Across the board. And, and that just speaks to this and the decline of fathers in the homes to raise their sons and their daughters. And, and before you get onto that slide, let me read the stat to you. There are fewer than 42% of all children in the United States live in what is a traditional family. 
And that traditional family is defined as this, mom and dad in their first marriage, and they are the parents of those children. Less than 42% of our children growing up in the United States find themselves in what I think a lot of us, again, not everyone, what a lot of us grew up as normal home. And it's become warped and the devastation to our children of having absent dads within the home and their biological dads within the home and having that family unit with the male as the compassionate but courageous leader of that home is devastating our culture. And you see the effects of it everywhere, everywhere. We're really left with a dilemma in our society because here's that slide that was up. It's the decline of the role and the influence of dad and husband and man in our society continues to grow. The decline of that role continues to grow. Our influence as men in this society in a godly and a productive way is becoming less and less and less in our society. It doesn't have to be. Things can change. And this isn't all doom and gloom because here's where it has to start. It's got to start in the mirror. And it's got to start one person at a time. Some of you who are in here are not married. It's, it's, it's times like this of when you guys need to make the decisions of how you're going to live your life the rest of your life. You don't wait till you're engaged or married to figure out how you're going to be a husband. You make those decisions now. And those of you that are married without kids, you don't wait until you have kids to decide what type of role model and dad you're going to be. You're deciding that and committing that now. And those of you that have children, now is the time to figure out how you're going to continue to minister to your children in love and compassion and, Lord willing, grandchildren in the future. And you don't wait forever until you get to those circumstances. You're figuring out how you're going to do those things now so that you can be an effective influence later. We need to turn this decline of this role, the lessening role, even within church society. Thinking through this topic, I must tell you that I think one of the things that not only the world struggles with, and I'm a, I got a little bit ahead of myself, but I not only think the world struggles with it, but I would like to say that this issue is a problem within the church as a whole. The loss of role responsibility within the church, the continued rise of women being the spiritual leaders within their families, men that are disconnected relationally, disconnected emotionally from their families, and the list goes on. Tonight, I'm not going to be able to cover every aspect of manhood or womanhood within the church, within the family, et cetera, because that could take 30 days, not 30 minutes. I want to focus on the challenge that we have in our theme verse that the apostle and the apostle Peter and, and look at his life in regards to this issue of, of acting like a man, act like a man, be strong. You know, when we look at this passage in 1 Corinthians, it clearly and simply states this, act like men. Be strong. And again, I'm practical. I take things at face value. I'm like, well, okay, that's the end. Act like men, be strong. Done, let's pray. It's over. There you go. But we would turn and we'd walk out these doors and we'd have 120 different definitions of what that would even look like. So what does it mean? What does it look like to do that? 
The Greek wording here of these words is pretty straightforward, but I do think the words and phrasing here are very interesting. The word act basically means conduct oneself. Conduct oneself. Like men is in a courageous way. It's very interesting. When you look up, and I looked up the Greek, and it said, you know, this, this men, and automatically went to, talked of courage, courageous, in a courageous way. So really, what this is saying is saying, conduct yourself in a courageous way. Act like men. It's the assumption here that men are going to act in a courageous way, that we are going to be courageous. And courage, if I could just say this, courage does not mean the absence of fear. Courage doesn't mean that we know it all. Courage just simply means that in spite of the fear, we stand. And we stand firm with conviction. And courage means in spite of what everyone else is doing and where everyone else is going and wherever else culture is going and whatever else some of your other Christian friends or whatever the church is doing, if it's going against God's word, we're going to have the courage to stand up and say, this is what I'm doing. As for me and my family, my house, this is what we're doing. That's courageous. And it's becoming more and more elusive. Several other versions of the scripture translated the Greek here just simply to read act courageously. The phrase here that is translated be strong, it is a verb that tells us that it is not a stagnant thing of just be strong. But it basically really is becoming strong. Becoming strong. And it had other words in there like becoming healthy, becoming vigorous is what is in the implied wording here. So as I think about this phrase, becoming strong, becoming healthy, becoming vigorous, it shows me and encourages me that I must, that I cannot be, that I must not be in a, in a state of, um, or that I must be, excuse me, I must be in a state of continuously growing strong, continuously getting healthy, becoming vibrant for the Lord. We've not arrived and it does not mean be strong, be bullheaded or gruff or set in one's ways or be unteachable. In fact, in, in order to become something, that means there's room for improvements. If it's a continuous growth thing, that means you're not there. So do we act, do we act like men? Do we act and conduct ourselves in a courageous way by becoming stronger. This is, this is speaking to this issue here that in order to become something, in order to become strong, improvement is needed. And that's part of what we're doing here tonight. Resetting. What, do, we, do, we, do we take the time to evaluate what we need to work on and grow on? You know, my wife and I had the privilege of being in Colorado just two weeks ago and uh, it, it, was, it was a wonderful time where ministry couples get together for basically ministry renewal. There's some counseling, there's sharing, there's, um, I jokingly called it group therapy, where we would sit around as ministry couples and talk. It was very refreshing to talk with other ministry couples that we didn't know. And we were with a couple from India and a couple from Minnesota and a couple from um, Papua New Guinea. And wow, the stories and the serving the Lord and I think is incredible. But this was, this was for rest. 
And it was also talked a lot about the Sabbath rest. And it talked about diving in. And I, I, I told the people that were leading this on several mornings, I said, I did not appreciate the uh, devotional this morning that you guys wrote, because you, that you wrote, because you challenged incredible deep self-reflection. And I did not like it. I didn't like it at all. Because I'm, I, I, I like being set in my ways. I like thinking I've arrived in some things. I like exactly where I've buried some stuff and I'd like it to stay there. And I had the privilege this last, or about two weeks ago, to have some stuff brought up that I didn't really care for, that needed to be dealt with because I need to become strong. I need to be growing in strength for my wife, Myself first, my wife, my family, ministry. I need to always be growing. In Ephesians 3.16, we see the same phrasing within this verse of this becoming strong. And it says this, that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with the power through his spirit in your inner being. To be strengthened. Again, it's this issue of becoming strong, growing in the faith, understanding more and more sound doctrine and principles of scripture so that we can do what? So that we can stand firm and do so in a courageous and God-honoring way at the same time. Tonight, I mentioned that we're gonna, that we're gonna look at the apostle Peter. And Peter was somebody that when I think through scripture, um, bravado comes to mind, okay? It, it, it's, this, it's this man of bravado and action and doing and sticking his foot in his mouth and chopping off ears and all of this stuff. But here's one of the things that we see and find is this issue here of strong bravado and no compassion or strong compassion and no bravado. And I see this a lot in the church. We've lost the balance and tonight... These are the two aspects I want to talk on the rest of the time. It's this issue of bravado or courage and compassion. Because a lot of times we're good at one and not so good at the other. Or we get them mixed up. Or we display courage and bravado and aggressiveness and all these things at the wrong things. Peter, if we were looking at Peter, he was someone that actually struggled with something that I feel is this issue of strong bravado and no compassion, or strong compassion and no bravado. Peter exhibited this imbalance multiple times through scripture, and let me just rattle off these real quickly. You'll see them on the screen here. But when you think of Peter's life, in Matthew 14, he demonstrated incredible bravado. He hops out of the boat and walks on water. In John 18, 10 and 11, Peter cuts off the ear of Malchus, the high priest's servant, as he's trying to defend Christ. In Luke 22, 33 through 34, Peter tells Christ that he's wrong and that he would never deny him. And then in Luke 22, 55 through 61, then Peter denies Christ three times. You know, in these instances and, and multiple other instances throughout the Gospels and throughout the remainder of the epistles of the New Testament, we see Peter's courage. But in these instances right here, you know what we saw? We saw courage in his own strength and in his own arrogance. And in the end, each one of these was a spiritual failure. See, bravado just doesn't cut it. Courage alone doesn't, doesn't cut it. 
Because what happens if we're not walking in, in, in spiritual strength that is in Christ Jesus, our bravado is just arrogance. Our courage is nothing but even self-glory at times. And letting everyone know we got it all figured out. Even to the point where Peter looks at Christ and says, no, Christ, not me. I would never do this. I would never do He's telling Jesus, you're wrong. But see, by our actions, how many times do we sit there and we go, God, I know this is what you want me to do or what I should be doing or what you're, but I got it. Thank you. I can do this. We're telling Christ he's wrong. And then we see an incredible thing here after Peter denies Christ. It's in Luke 22, verse 62. And we see the brokenness of Peter. It simply says in this verse, he went away and he wept bitterly. This is in the same chapter that Peter was courageous, quote unquote, enough to tell Christ that he was wrong, that he would never deny him. This was in the same chapter, just verses later where here you have Peter denying Christ three times. And I think in the story of the Gospels, as you look at it, as you can imagine, Peter, after he denies, more strongly denies, and then in essence swears or vows that he never knew Christ, he sees Christ, and Christ sees him. And it cut him to the core, like he never imagined. It went from arrogance to brokenness instantly in the eyes of his Savior. Seeing Christ and understanding that all of that arrogance, all of those things where Christ is saying, Peter, get behind me, Satan. How would you like to be called Satan by Christ? Why? Because Christ needed to go to the cross. And Peter's like, no, Lord, no. And he said, get behind me. You don't, even, you don't understand. Put your courage, your bravado, your arrogance away for a second and see me what I need to do. And then you look at Peter's life after. After this brokenness. After, after this acknowledgement of sin and seeing his life, I'm convinced, Peter looking at Christ and, and Christ seeing him, and then you have this acknowledgement in Peter's life of just this devastation, this devastation of letting down his Savior, this devastation of the sin in his life, maybe for the first time actually realizing how rotten to the core he really was and how wrong he was. And he had no arrogance then. You see, in our courage and arrogance, in light of Jesus Christ, we, we, we can have none of it. We're horrible. And here you have, look at, look at these things after this brokenness, after he went away and wept bitterly in John 21, 15 through 17. As Christ was denied by Peter three times, we see in this passage that Peter is reset. He is restored three times by Christ. In Acts 2, Peter addressed the crowd at Pentecost and over 3,000 were added to the church. Peter then is the rock of the church moving forward in the end of his life. He ends his life. His life is taken from him. He is martyred for Christ. There is no doubt that Peter continued a life of courage, of bravado, 
But now it was marked by brokenness and humility. And it was, it was marked by the power of the Holy Spirit with his focus on Jesus Christ. See, courage in yourself. Courage in what you can do. Courage in your skill set. In your giftings. I, 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 I shudder to think how many times in my own life, by my poor behavior, I've literally told God, I got this. And I've considered that, what? Courage for the Lord, bravery for the Lord, honoring the Lord. And I think sometimes he just looks at me like, if you only knew. I know who you are. I see right through you and you're, you're, I'm denying I'm denying Christ's power every time I do that. Just like Peter stood and denied he didn't know him. I, I'm basically denying that I know the Lord and I'm in the power of his Holy Spirit every time I do that. And I envision at times Christ just looking with just literally, if you want to say, frustration. And not that I'm, not that I'm a sinner. Not that I'm any of those things because he knows that he's taken care of that. He's dealt with those things. But he's almost, for my sake, he said, you, it it could be so much more. It could be so much more if you would get out of your own way. I know we're talking about compassion and courage. And we see Peter here, he continued to live that life of courage. But now it was marked, again, as I said, with this brokenness and humility. And with the power of the Holy Spirit, with his focus on Christ. Listen, I want you to understand this. To be strong without compassion is to be a bully. But to be only compassionate without ever being strong is to be a coward. And what we need, guys, what we need, we need to be reset in order that we can discern with the, with, with the direction and guidance of the Holy Spirit when we need to demonstrate incredible strength and courage. And we need with that same, with that same uh, discernment and gifting and direction by the Holy Spirit, we need that to understand when, when we need to demonstrate incredible compassion. And could I also even say that it takes incredible courage to demonstrate compassion. They are not so diametrically opposed. They are the They're not the same, but they work together. To be compassionate to someone, to offer the hope of Jesus Christ to someone out of compassion takes incredible courage. And to demonstrate incredible courage by standing up demonstrates incredible compassion for them. Peter was all bravado and strong and in his own strength until his brokenness. And then you look and see the power of Christ through the life of Peter, and it is unbelievable. You know, a couple weeks ago, some of you might recognize this gentleman's name. I'm going to show a little video clip here to you in just a few moments. But a couple weeks ago, a gentleman named Dick Hoyt passed away. Some of you might recognize him. Some of you that maybe are runners or have done triathlons or anything along those lines. But um, I just want to have you take a look at this video if that's all set and we'll just show this at, that, at this time. I don't know if any of you have seen that before or seen that 
It's that story. It's, an, it's, an, it's a fantastic story. It's an interesting story. And like I said, just a couple weeks ago, Dick Hoyt passed away. Um, but, but this video touches me and the story of his life touches me every time I interact with it in some form. And now listen, please understand this. I'm not holding up Dick Hoyt as a spiritual model. I have no idea of his spiritual state as he entered eternity. But what I do know is this, and what I take from this video is two words, strength and compassion. Strength and compassion. You see, what I observed in this video is a man that even into his mid-70s had the strength to do this for his son, but what I saw first is that this man had the compassion to care enough for his son, to know the heart of his son enough even to begin running for his son. See, with either one, compassion alone wouldn't have accomplished anything. And strength alone would have not accomplished anything because he, was, because he would have missed his son's heart. You see, Dick became strong through all of the exercise, but again, but if he never had the compassion in the first place to see his son's heart, then all the strength in the world would not have mattered. And guys, this is as, as we talk about this, this issue of standing firm in the faith first and then act like men, be strong. We are called to act like men and to become strong. We are called to stand firm. And I would say this, what does God require of, of us? And this is what we're going to wrap up tonight with is if you look at Micah 6.8, Micah 6.8 is a powerful, powerful verse that, that basically if I would say, what does the Lord require of us as men? I could summarize it here in this verse. In Micah 6.8, the prophet Micah answers that on God's behalf. And here's the story or the backstory of where this verse, if you look at Micah 6, the first verses 1 through 7, this is not a good place for Israel. And Micah comes to deliver basically tragic news to them of God's wrath coming and God's punishment to them. And they're trying to make their appeals to him, and, and, and they're, they're hearing of God's wrath that's coming, and that he is not pleased with their inward hearts and their rebellion and their sin. And they ask and they plead and what they should do. And, and they offer, in verses I think it's five through seven, they offer basically all of these things in a trying to, an appeasement of God to, to withhold his wrath. And they offer this and basically say, Should we come with burnt offerings? or with, with calves a year old. I mean, they're ramping it up. It's like, hey, burnt offerings, is that what we should come with? And that, those could be minimal sacrifices. And then they ramp it up with calves that are a year old. That's pretty pricey. Wow, that's very impressive. And then they say, or, or thousands of rams? That is amazingly impressive. Or 10,000s of rivers with oil? Do you understand that the stakes keep getting higher? And they keep going, what's it going to take to get God to stop punishing us? What's it going to take to appease the God out there? That, this ogre that's about to display wrath upon us. What's it going to appease? What's it going to take? And then they say this, or even my firstborn for my sin. Do you understand how warped they were at this time? That they would take the most disgusting practices of heathen worship and ask God's prophet, is that what God wants? And I was thinking about this passage, and I was thinking, holy cow, I do the same thing to God all the time. I take the things of this world, and I try to appease God with them. I take the mindset of the world, and my own strength, and doing my own thing, and being self-sufficient, and I try to impress God with these ridiculous things. 
it was such a disgusting display by the Israelites. And, and he basically he's like, how do we impress God? A calf? No, a thousand rams? No, no rivers of oil? No, our firstborn? None of these? They were so far from the Lord and didn't even know the scriptures that were told to them, to Saul by Samuel. And you guys remember this, it says this. It says, has the Lord, this is Samuel talking to Saul, has the Lord as great, does the Lord have great delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as in obeying the voice of the Lord? Behold, to obey is better than sacrifice and to listen than the fat of rams. Do you guys remember that? And he's reminding them of that. And then on top of that, to adopt that heathen practice of, 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 of child sacrifice in order to appease God, just a disgusting display. And this is how Micah responds. And he looks at them and he says to them in verse eight, he has told you. It's basically like, he's already told you. I can't even believe you're asking me this. Have you not seen the scriptures? Do you not know what God expects of you? He's already told you. Oh man, what is good? And what does the Lord require of you? To do justice, to love kindness, and to walk humbly before your God. Man, do we mess that up. Man, do we try to appease God in so many different ways except to do justice and to love kindness and to walk humbly with our God. To do justice, this is not news. The verse says that he's told you this already. They chose not to be just or morally right. That is the meaning of making a decision in a, in a judgment or dispute. It comes down to whether we are going to choose to do what is right, what is morally right according to God's word in spite of the influences around us. It takes courage. It takes consistent courage to do justice, to do what is just, what is right according to God. They chose not to love kindness the word kindness here is mostly translated kindness in this passage, but it also means mercy and faithfulness. It, it, that's how it's described in some other versions or translated in some other versions. And the issue here, the question is, are we going to choose to be faithful, to demonstrate compassion, to demonstrate mercy? Are we going to love choosing to be faithful to the Lord by demonstrating kindness? Choice, again. And the last one is they chose not to walk humbly with God. To be humble, to be pure before the Lord, to walk in the absence of pride and arrogance and self-sufficiency before the Lord. That's what it means to walk humbly before God. Listen, I look out here and I see just a lot of wonderful, talented, gifted men of all ages. But if we do not get out of our own way, if we do not get out of using our own strength, if we do not stop living in our own arrogance that we all have, then I'm afraid that this is going to be said of us. He has already told you what is good and what is required of you. But you refuse to do justice. You don't love kindness, mercy, and faithfulness to God, and you think you can handle it all, and you refuse to walk humbly before me. Gentlemen, may that never be said of us. May it never be said of us. You know, today has been a day of challenge to reset. That's been our heart, our prayer, our goal as a team as we've been thinking about this day. Today was a day of reset. And we're going to close tonight with an opportunity to do just that in our lives. To make a visible 
sign of resetting, to make a visible commitment of resetting and demonstrating obedience. Now, if you happen to see me ever carrying a, a money clip here, and I have that, you will see the first dollar bill that I always have on it is a $2 bill. And, and it's a $2 bill that it means far more than $2 to me. <clears throat> Sorry. Because I, <clears throat> I got that $2 bill in Israel when we were there in 2019, and that's the day that um, through much prayer and even a heartache at the time, I laid open my hands in obedience and said, God, if you want me to move from youth ministry to go into this new role that I've been asked to do, then my hands are open. And you know why I carry this thing around? Because I want to close my hands all the time and take it back. Because it's uncomfortable. It's challenging. It was done in an act of obedience. And I'm not saying I'm all that by any means. But what I'm saying is, I have to reset myself a lot. And this little $2 stinking dollar bill reminds me to do that. It, re- it reminds me that my focus needs to be on doing just. Doing justice. On loving mercy. And then walking humbly with my God not in my own strength and not in my own arrogance because I'm incapable of doing what I'm trying to do. And to be quite honest, we're all incapable of doing what we're trying to do, to stand firm in the faith. And we need to reset. And sometimes we need little reminders to help us reset. And tonight, the challenge here is that it's a time to commit or even recommit, to commit to stand firm and lead your family in love like maybe you've never done before. Or maybe it's the time to commit and say, God, help my courage. Help my courage that I would act courageous for you. Or maybe it's a commitment to say, God, help my compassion. Because I'm heavy on the bravado, but I'm weak on the compassion. Excuse me. Or maybe it's say, God, my life is not what it needs to be or should be right now. And I have sin in my life that's keeping me from being what you want me to be. And there's multiple things that we maybe need to reset in our lives. Guys, this word reset requires obedience. And to be reset also means that something has to be altered. If you reset it, you've changed it, it's altered. And my question to you guys tonight is in your life, what tonight needs to be changed or what needs to be altered or what needs to be confessed to the Lord? And that's our goal tonight. That's our challenge tonight. And tonight is a night that it can happen. And here's how we'd like to do this. And I don't even know this and I probably shouldn't. I apologize for this. I don't know if there's gonna be music playing or not. And if not, that's fine. This is a time where I'm just encouraging all of you guys to do business with God. And we're going to close here in the next couple of moments 
But what we do is we have an opportunity up here at the cross, and our four team members are going to be kind of stationed throughout, and there's four tables here, and there's Sharpies, and what we've got is four different colors of kind of like this construction tape stuff. And here's what I'd like to encourage or challenge you to do. If you're saying, God, tonight is a, is a night of, of, of reset for me. It's a night of, could be confession of sin. It could be a night of saying, God, I'm doing, I'm doing well. I want to do better. I'm striving to serve after you, but I want to do better in leading my family. I want to be better in my ministry or better in my walk or better in standing firm because I see the waves and the erosion taking me down. And maybe you need to write something, and that's what these markers are for, these tables are for, these, these little slim pieces of paper. And here's the deal. You might write a word on there, you might write a little sentence, you might write something, and here's what I'm going to ask you to do, is to come over to this cross and tie it to the cross and leave it where it needs to be. And you, and you leave it up there as a symbol, and, and I hope later tonight that you take pictures, and instead of a $2 bill, you take out your camera and you look at that picture, and you see, that's where I left that, Satan. That's where I left that, and I reset. And when I feel discouraged, and I don't feel capable, and I don't feel any of those things, I look at that saying, I am capable in Christ. And I am capable because he has equipped me, and he has forgiven me, and he has reset me, and he has restored me, just like he restored Peter. And you look at Peter, the rock of the church, who gave his life as a martyr for Jesus Christ. And that was not possible until Christ reset him and restored him. And tonight, I think, I think there's many that probably need to be reset. So we're going to leave it at that. And if you feel God stirring in your heart, and listen, if this cross stays blank tonight, praise God, we're in a far better place than I might assume. And if there's one up here, great. And if there's a hundred up here, great. And here's the deal though, guys, as I said it before. If nothing changes after you wrap something on here, you've missed the point. This is the $2 bill. This is the symbol. This is the commitment. The hard part starts after tonight. The challenge is really after tonight. But what might be an awesome thing tonight is you came up here and tie one of these things up as a commitment and you write it down and you remind yourself and you remember and then you tell somebody tonight and you pray about it tonight and you make a commitment to each other to stand firm, arm in arm, locked together so that you can stand firm in the faith and you can have far greater influence for the Lord with your family, with your loved ones, with your coworkers, with your neighbors, with the people at church, with everybody than you ever thought possible because we've gotten our eyes off of ourselves and totally onto the Lord. And we've made a commitment to reset, to do justice, to love mercy, and to walk humbly before our God. Father, I pray for these men. Father, I feel ridiculously unworthy to be challenging these men for spiritual things. Father, I look out and I see men that have influenced me over the last 20 years. And yet, Father, you know each one of our hearts. You know I need to be reset on a consistent basis, that I'm continuing, Lord, to grow and becoming strong. And I, uh, Lord, I know 
But what you've laid on my heart, that there's men here tonight that want to continue being strong, continuing to grow, and they need a reset. God, this year, this year of COVID, this year of isolation, this year of anxiety has kicked our tails. And some of us are deep in sin. And some of us are not being courageous as we should. And some of us are not being compassionate as we should. And we need you. Father, help us. Gentlemen, this is your time to do what you will. Break silently at your chair. You can approach these men and write something down and come and tie it to the cross and leave it. And after you leave it, you can pray. You can stay up here. You can go sit down. This is your time for the next few minutes to do business with God Almighty and what a God we have that is here with us.